I want to put a word on the screen as we begin here today, and this word is important to us as a family of faith as we move into these fall months and kick off our new Sunday school year. Here's the word, and it's been kind of introduced last week, but it's the word devoted, and this is a common word. It's a word that people use a lot, devoted. This word was introduced in the English language in print form in the mid-1500s, according to Webster's Dictionary. In fact, the first time that this word was ever used in print form in English was in 1586. That was 437 years ago. And over the centuries since this word has been introduced to the English language, we have found lots of ways to express devotion, right? Years ago, back when I was a kid, I remember people having stamp collections and they would find these really rare stamps from different countries and different decades and they would keep them in boxes or keep them in binders and they would hope that they were going to make some money off them at some point. And some of you are like, stamps? What's a stamp? Well, um, if you're writing a letter, a physical letter on a piece of paper, and then you put it in an envelope and you send it through the U.S. Postal Service, you will need to buy a postage stamp to put on top of it. Years ago, people would collect those things. There are other people who collect uh, coins, coin collectors. In fact, I remember when I found out that my dad had a coin collection. I was something like junior high age, 7th, 8th grade, and one day I was rummaging around up in the attic of our house when I thought I found a buried treasure. And it was this old shoe box that was underneath a number of other old shoe boxes. But I opened it up and there were all sorts of coins in there. Coins that I had never seen before. Ran down the stairs screaming and yelling, Guess what I found? Guess what I found? When my dad saw what it was, he just calmly said, Oh, that's some old coins that I collected when I was a little kid. And then he said, you can look at them, but make sure that you put them back where you found them. My dad, when he was a kid, was devoted to a coin collection. When I was a kid, I got devoted to collecting baseball cards and football cards and basketball cards. I had some great cards of different kinds, old cards, some pretty valuable cards. If, if I could find somebody who, could actually, uh, who actually wanted to pay for them and buy them, they were valuable. But sadly, um, and I've said this before, but sadly... All of my sports cards were given away to the Goodwill thrift store in Ohio years ago. Not because I really wanted to give them away, but because some of, somebody gave them away for me unintentionally. And sometimes that's what happens when you leave uh, valuable cards at your parents' house for 20 years after you've already moved out. I, I guess I wasn't all that devoted to them. But over the centuries, we have expressed devotion to different things in a variety of different ways. And this is true today as well. People are devoted to a bunch of different things. And just, um, they just look a little different than they did back then. You know, some people are devoted to this. And do you know what this is? I mean, some of you are looking at this and you're, you're thinking to yourself, huh, I don't know, is it like a neck massager or something like that? But, but some of you know exactly what this is, right? If you're devoted to this, 
You're called a gamer. And controllers like this are, are used to play on Xboxes or Playstations, but uh, people today are really devoted, some of them, to gaming. There's another group of people today who express their devotion, I've discovered, uh, through this thing here. And some of you look at this and you say, what is that? Are you trying to start some kind of meth lab or something? No, I'm not. This is called a coffee pour-over. And if you're really devoted to coffee, you know exactly what this is. The moment I held it up, you knew what it was. As a matter of fact, the people who are using these things are called the third wave of coffee devotion. The first wave was Maxwell House and instant coffee. The second wave of coffee devotion was the Starbucks era. And now we have this. It's the third wave. And people who are into this, they look down their noses at Starbucks like, oh, that's just the commoner's coffee. We're the ones who are really devoted to coffee. Listen, if you are making your own coffee with one of these things, then you might need some help, all right? <laughs> but um, it, it's an expression of devotion. I, I'm devoted in another area of my life um, to something that I love. I love food. I, I love reading reviews on Yelp and Open Table about uh, what the best restaurants are and who makes the best food. And then I love to experience eating that food. I'm devoted to that. And some of you look at me and you say, yeah, I can tell you don't miss too many meals, pastor. Devotion is one of those things that we express in a number of different ways, but long before that word was ever introduced into the English language in print form in the 1500s, long before we went crazy being devoted to all of these different things, the early church, the church in the first century, modeled devotion. The early church devoted themselves to a few things that really mattered, and in doing that, God used them to turn the world upside down. Literally, this morning, we are gathered in this place today, sitting here, and there are other churches all over this city, this state, this country, this world, millions of people, and all of us are a vis visible, tangible expression of the devotion of this group of people in the early church. Last week, we kicked off our Sunday school year. We, we talked about this idea of being fully devoted. Over the next several weeks, we want to explore this a little bit deeper and specifically in the context of the local church community, what it means as the people of God to be devoted to the things of God. And so if you've got a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab your Bible app and open that, you can grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, but I want to invite you and encourage you to open it with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. In the book of Acts, we read the story, the history of the birth of the church and the growth of the church, all being used as an instrument in the expansion of God's kingdom locally and globally. And by the time that you get to Acts chapter 6, you see some interesting things beginning to happen. I want to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, and then over the next three weekends, we want to talk a little bit about what these verses have to say. 
But, but just so that we can kind of get the context here, I'm going to read all seven verses this morning. This is Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to put these uh, words up on the screen. But here's what it says. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... I want to stop there for a moment. What this means is that the early church is growing very rapidly. And the way that this is translated here sounds like a huge, um, mis- uh, uh, well, a-, a huge understatement in what's being stated. I-, I mean, it's hard for me to even imagine this. The early churches in Jerusalem in the book of Acts went from 180 people to about 20,000 people in like six months. And so I think this is a bit of an understatement to say that the disciples were increasing in numbers. Listen, the church was multiplying, it was expanding, it was exploding, it was growing. But I want you to see what happens next. It says, a complaint arose. That's a church, all right, ain't it? It's growing and somebody's not happy. And here is the church 2,000 years ago. It is growing and there is a complaint. Now, I point these two things out to you for a reason, because we're about to read how the church, in the midst of this, devotes themselves to a few things. But what happens here is that the enemy is trying to distract the church. Growth can be a distraction in the church. Complaint can be a distraction in the church. And I think that a lot of times these, these things are used by the enemy to get our focus off of what matters the most. <clears throat> Here's what it says. A complaint by the Hellenists arose among, uh, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They're talking about the distribution of food to these widows. And you know, I find this interesting here, this first complaint, the first complaint, the first conflict, the the first problem that is mentioned in the early church is not a theological problem. Rather, it is a cultural problem. What happened in the early church is that the gospel had engaged the city. The church was looking like the city. Multiple cultures were, uh, were redeemed together into one family. And that brought about a cultural, a number of cultural problems. Now, you know, a lot of churches in America don't experience these things because a lot of churches are just one culture. But I love St. Paul's Bible Church because as the gospel has engaged the city of Chicago, our church is a reflection of our city. And we are a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational family of God. We are um, an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating into our city. But what we need to be very careful of is this. Because we come from many different backgrounds, there is a potential for the enemy to use that to drive a wedge between us culturally. And that is what is happening here in the early church. There's a conflict that arises. The enemy is trying to distract the church to get them off course. Verse 2, we pick it up and it says this. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
But we will, and here's the word, devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pecurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then I want you to see what it says there in verse 7. Because they didn't get distracted, because they stayed devoted to these things that really mattered, the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. As I was thinking about the kickoff of our Sunday school year and this theme of being fully devoted, God led me to this passage of scripture here in Acts chapter 6 and just talking about the early church here, and I felt compelled to spend a few weeks looking at three specific ideas from this passage. Things that they were devoted to that I think we need to be devoted to as well. And so three things from this passage, I'll give them all to you here this morning, and then we're going to come back and we'll focus on just the first area in the remainder of our time here today. So the first thing is just simply this, we must seek the Lord. The early church sought the Lord. They were dependent upon the Lord by giving priority to the word of God and to prayer. We need to do that as well. Number two, we must serve one another. Acts chapter 6, we see the church here empowering one another um, to, to, to use their gifts in service in the body of Christ. Listen, the church does not work with a few gifted people leading the work of the church. No, we need everyone using their gifts in order to accomplish God's mission in our world. And then number three, we must spread the word. You know, as the early church gave priority to the word of God and to prayer, and as they used their gifts to serve, uh, to serve one another, um, they, not, not allowing the enemy to distract them, they engaged in God's mission. God used them to spread the word, to expand his kingdom. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. But this Sunday, we want to focus in specifically on seeking the Lord. We're going to do this by focusing in on just one of the verses here that I read this morning. That's Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. So we'll put this this verse back on the screen again. And it says this, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That word devote here is a word that means to continuously persist in something. It's the idea of giving priority of time, energy, effort, schedule to something. The early church said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We are going to give priority to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so today, I want to just kind of press in on this a little bit by asking and answering three questions And here's the first question. What is the ministry of the word? Now, you know, this might seem to be simple for some of you to answer, but this idea of the ministry of the word is just the public reading and explanation of God's word through preaching. It's what we're doing right now. 
Right now, we, we have come together as the people of God. We are sitting under the teaching, the explanation of the word of God, trusting God to speak to us through his word. In fact, Paul, the apostle, would write and give instructions to the church in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul wrote to this young pastor who was leading this church in a city called Ephesus. Here's what he writes in 1 Timothy. He says... Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, why is it that when we gather together as a church that we are are to take time to open up God's Word and to teach God's Word? Why do we do that? Well, it's because God has established that that's what we do as a church, that we give priority to the Word. And Paul uses a couple of very important words here. First of all, he, he, he talks about the teaching of the word, which is the explanation of God's word. It is the instruction of God's word. It is what God's word has to say to us. Uh, secondly, he talks about exhortation, which means to encourage or to challenge people to apply that truth to their lives. And listen, every weekend when we gather together, regardless of who it is that is teaching up here, our goal is to try to take God's word and to say, here's what God's word says, and here's how you apply it to your life today. Now, whether you realize this or not, whoever it is that's preaching up here does not get up on a Sunday morning and say, well, God, what do you want me to say today? No, no. I spend 15 to 20 hours a week studying and praying and seeking to answer two questions. What does the Bible say and how does that apply to our lives? And maybe you think, wow, I mean, why would you do that? Why would you spend so much time trying to figure out what the Bible says and then trying to apply that to your life? Well, The reason why I do that, the reason why anyone who preaches up here does that is because our opinion doesn't matter. It really doesn't. The one, the only thing that matters is the authority of the word of God. What matters is what does the Bible say and how does that apply to my life today? Friends, myself and our leadership team here at our church believe convictionally That the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and then uses that to speak to the people of God. I can't tell you how many times after service I've had people come up to me and say, or email me or text me and just say, Hey, Pastor, I I don't know, but today it just seemed like you uh, were talking directly straight at me to me. You were talking specifically to me. Maybe you felt that way before. Pastor, I I felt like you had just been following me around all week and you knew what was happening in my week and you knew what to say. I, I, I felt like you were reading my emails. Listen, that's not me. That's not because of something I've done. It is because of the Spirit of God. He takes the Word of God and he uses it to reach down into the life of the person of God and he does his work of transformation in us. Listen, he he doesn't always do it the same way either. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? I want to show you a verse out of Isaiah chapter 55 that I just think is absolutely incredible. 
Here's what it says, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, rain and snow, they ultimately do the same thing on the earth, right? They water the earth, but they don't do it in the same way. When it rains, the earth is immediately wet. When it snows, sometimes the water, sometimes the moisture in that snow stays as snow for days or even weeks or maybe even months before it melts and it waters the ground. But both the rain and the snow do eventually water the ground. Look at what God says in Isaiah 55, 11, the very next verse. He says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Look, this is what gives me such confidence every Sunday when I stand up here and I open up God's word. I believe this promise right here. Listen, some Sundays... It feels like rain, though. I mean, you leave this place and we're all just feeling soaking wet. That the word of God has come alive in our souls and we're walking out of here. We've got rain boots on. We're splashing everybody around us. We're just soaking wet in the word of God. And listen, those Sundays can feel so great. They can feel so incredible. But friends, there are other Sundays that, well, it just ain't rain. And you can feel it too. I mean, we feel this like, I, you know what? I, I just can't wait till this is over. I can't wait. This feels, I feel so cold. I mean, everyone here is frozen. Now listen, sometimes what happens on Sunday is that God is snowing in your life. And it is going to be Wednesday and you're at work and you're in the middle of a crisis and the Holy Spirit of God begins to melt that snow and the word of God begins to rain in your soul and it begins to speak to you. And friends, here's what, what I'm trying to tell you. It does not matter if on Sunday morning the word of God feels like rain or like snow. The word of God is always going to do what the word of God does. And so we, as a church family need to be devoted to the word of God. Secondly, what is the ministry of prayer? What is the ministry of prayer? Well, most often this verse in Acts chapter 6 is interpreted in a way that I don't think is quite exactly right. Look at verse 4 again. It says this, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here's the way that a lot of churches, a lot of pastors will read this verse. We, the pastors, need to pray so that we can preach the word. As if it is just the pastors who need to pray and we need to use this in order to be able to preach the word. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here at all. Pastors do need to pray. We need to pray as much as you need to pray. Sometimes we need prayer worse than you need prayer. We are, we've got things going on in our lives, we've got challenges, we've got concerns, we've got difficulties, and we need to pray about those things. Listen, pastors need prayer. In fact, Ian Bounds, he, he's a, he's, he was a, a writer, a pastor from years ago, he writes this about preachers and prayer. He says, God's true preachers 
can be distinguished by one great feature. They are men of prayer. But look, I, I don't think that what Acts chapter 6 and verse uh, 4 here is talking about is this. I, I, I think that what he's talking about is the church. He's talking about corporately, we need to seek God through prayer and through the word. That, that we need to come together, we need to sit under the instruction of the word of God, and we need to come together and seek God desperately through prayer. The church here is devoting itself to prioritizing prayer and the word together. And with this simple phrase, the early church unlocks the key to the power of God moving in and through his church. The, the, the key here is prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. Now, I want to just give you an illustration of this by uh, showing you an airplane. An airplane has two wings, doesn't it? Uh, they, they have two wings for a reason. I, if you understand anything about aerodynamics, you know that the wind, uh, that the wings capture the wind and that helps it to be able to fly. And an airplane that only has one wing is not going to be a good airplane, right? It's not going to go anywhere. If you go over to Midway Airport and you go get on an airplane today and you go through security, and you're seated in the airplane, and you buckle in, and you look out one window, and you see a wing there, but then you look out the other wing, and the other window, and there is no wing, what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit there quietly and have your seatbelt buckled? I mean, and the pilot kind of begins to back out the plane and go down the tarmac. No, you're not going to do that. Why? Because you know that that plane is not going to go anywhere. If that plane only has one wing, you better get off that plane as fast as you can, right? Well, God, in his sovereignty, he's established the church with a, a, as a plane with two wings. And if we're going to be prepared in order to capture the wind of the Spirit of God as he moves in and through us in our midst, then we need to have both wings of the plane. Prayer... And the word of God, the ministry of the word. What's really sad, though, is that some churches are trying to fly their plane with only one wing. Or even worse, no wings at all. Do you know that the North American church is one of the only places, only continents in the world where Christianity is actually on the decline? In many continents, most continents, Christianity is actually expanding. Um, it's um, exploding, it's growing, but not in North America, which is a largely us, America. And I think that the reason is, is because of what we've just uncovered here. We, we don't have the two wings of the plane going. Unfortunately, the church in America is generally weak in both of these areas. We are weak in the word. In fact, what, what has happened in many churches in America is that we've kind of relegated the word to being something that we want to say rather than what God wants to say to us. Rather than starting with what the scriptures say, we say, hey, what does the Bible have to say, with, say about this? No, instead we go and we have a creative meeting and we say, hey, here's what we want to say and now we're going to try to find some Bible verses in order to say and support what it is that we want to say. 
In the same way, we have taken prayer in much of our churches in America. We have, have taken corporate prayer and we've just used it as a filler, as something of a transition moving from singing to preaching or preaching to singing or, or, or just announcements, whatever it is, where it's a transition, it's a filler. We, we look at our churches and the continent that we live on, our country, the context that we're in, and we look at our, our culture and we wonder why we're in the situation we're in. Well, God gave the church, and the purpose of the church was to be a vehicle by which he would put his power on display in our culture. And he gave us two wings. He gave us the word of God and prayer. And we need to be awakened in the church to the word of God and to prayer. Thankfully, by God's grace, in recent years, we have seen evidence of a resurgence in biblical preaching and the expo exposition of the scriptures in the American church. And so now we have a lot of churches and they have a lot of very solid biblical teaching. The problem is, is that they only have one wing of the plane. And so there's no real power. It's not really going anywhere. We, we know the scriptures. We know what the Bible says. But, but we, we're not seeing a move of the Holy Spirit. We, we're not seeing God, uh, God's power fall on us. Until we begin to depend on both wings of the plane... In, in a devotion to the word of God, in a devotion to prayer, we will not see a move of the power of God. I, I think that this is why the early church was so effective. They, they were growing, and at the same time, they were having these problems. But they said, you know what? We are not going to get distracted from prioritizing prayer and the word, the ministry of the word. That's how we are to live as the church, and that's what the early church was doing. If you read through the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but in 26 of them, the Bible mentions prayer. And in most of those instances, it wasn't just individuals praying, but they were praying together as a community of faith. Listen, it is good for us to pray individually. But again, in most of the instances in the book of Acts when prayer is mentioned, it is the church and they are coming together to pray. And I think that part of the reason why we are not seeing the power of God at work around us is because we don't really prioritizing, prioritize coming together in prayer. John Franklin, he writes in this book of his, he says it this way, the greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer, and we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. God, in his sovereignty, has determined that something happens when we pray together that transcends praying separately. Friends, I believe that when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. And so one of the things that we try to do around here is that when we come together, we read the word of God and we pray those truths back to God. 
And we did that just a little bit ago, a little earlier in the service today. Part of the reason why we have a habit of starting our services with a hymn, and then we read some scripture, and then we uh, pray corporately, is that we, we want to pray Bible truths uh, that we've just read back to the Lord, and, and we want to see how the Spirit leads us in prayer. And, and we want our prayers to be uh, scripture-fed, but Spirit-led. And so we, we, uh, we, we set aside time in our services to seek the Lord together through prayer. And we, we've seen the power of God at work in some amazing ways as we've done that. Listen, I know that a lot of us have, uh, are starting um, small groups, uh, kind of kicking off a new season of small groups. And I just want to encourage you in your small groups to maybe set aside some time. If you're not doing this already, you need to set aside some time to pray together. And what you can do, and I'd encourage you to do this, open your Bibles, open to a psalm or some other scripture and, and read that scripture and let, that, that, let the word of God feed the time of prayer. And the spirit of God can then lead that time of prayer as you seek the Lord together. Every Saturday morning, we have prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. And when we begin at the beginning of our time, we usually uh, take some time to share prayer requests together. And then we open up our Bibles and we, we, we start taking turns reading passages of Scripture. And then we let the Spirit of God lead us as we pray through that. And listen, I know that it's not easy to get up and to pray on Saturday morning. I mean, there are a million other things that you would rather be doing at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. But we devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word because that is what God calls us to do. And as we prioritize prayer and the ministry of the Word, we see the wind of the Spirit of God move. Well, as we close here, uh, I just want to quickly address one last question. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Let me give you three reasons why this matters. Number one, to neglect the word and prayer displeases the Father. The text says it is not right that we should do this. That word right means acceptable, satisfying, desirable, and here's what that means. If today, as we gather in worship, we don't prioritize praying together and coming under the word together, then God is going to be displeased with that. And listen, let me just be really transparent here. At the end of the day today, it does not matter if I think it, if I liked it, or it doesn't matter if you liked it so much. But, but what matters is, is God pleased with what has been done as we gathered here today. And God will not be pleased if we don't, don't prioritize prayer and the word. Number two, to, to prioritize the word and prayer invites the manifest presence of God among us. Do you know what we need more today than anything else? We need God to show up as only God can do. Amen? I, I, I hope that you did not come today for a sermon. I hope you didn't come today for a song. I hope you didn't come today for some kind of spiritual pick-me-up. I hope that you came today because you thought, man, God is going to show up and I need to be in the presence of God. When we give priority to prayer and the word, it invites the manifest presence of God. 
It invites God to work in unique and powerful ways among us in ways that are clearly seen and evident and uh, undeniable. It, It is God showing up in a distinct way and doing what only God can do. Now listen, when we gather together as a church, we are going to prioritize prayer and we are going to prioritize the word, the ministry of the word. But here is what I'm asking from you today. You need to give priority to us gathering. You see, sadly, what has happened in America is that church attendance has just become very casual. Uh, we, we, we do it if we feel like doing it. I mean, it, whatever, whenever it feels convenient, we're going to go. Or whenever uh, we, we don't have anything else better going on. But friends, listen, the manifest presence of God is not dependent upon a few leaders up here on stage. The manifest presence of God rests on all of us coming together to give priority to prayer and the word. And when we choose out of convenience to regularly not be a part of the gathering, it then could be us who is robbing the fellowship of the manifest presence of God. We all need to prioritize prayer in the word, coming together and saying, God, we are desperate for you to move among us. And then finally, to prioritize the word in prayer allows us to experience the power of God in and through us. We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but Acts chapter 6 verse 7 simply says this, The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why did that happen? Well, because they devoted themselves to the priority of prayer and the word. And God's mission in this world was fueled by the church coming together. Ian Ian Bounds again. He said it this way, and I'll close with this. The life, power, and glory of the church is in prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer, and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. May we be a people who devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word.